Hello, welcome and thanks for tuning in to Sound Living, the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Helen Lawal, Regional Director for the BSLM and an NHS GP. Now the internet is swamped with the latest health trends and confusing advice. In this podcast, we are dedicated to bringing you reliable information based on facts and research to inspire and support you to improve your health and well-being. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sound Living Podcast. And this morning we have a very special episode which is centred around mental health, mental illness and the global pandemic that we're living through at the moment. And joining us today is Dr Charlotte Marriott. Now Charlotte's a consultant psychiatrist and she's also chair of the Mental Health Specialist Interest Group for the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine. And she's really going to help us navigate through COVID-19 and the impact that's having on our mental health. Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Helen. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on. I think this is a really important topic and really, really relevant for all of us, whether we work in the NHS or we don't. Now, very grand title there, Chair of Mental Health of the Mental Health Specialist Interest Group for the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine. What does that mean? (laughs) Um, Well, it's a role that I've only taken up this year, so I'm quite new to it. Um, But the special interest group is a group of about 12 of us, and we're very varied in in terms of our backgrounds. There are some GPs, there's a psychologist, um, there's me and another psychiatrist or two. So quite a, a, a group of us that are just interested in the lifestyle medicine approaches to mental illness and um, and that kind of thing. We've recently tried to feed back some information to NICE, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, because they're developing their depression guidelines. And we wanted to really push lifestyle medicine to the forefront of of that because that we know for example in, in mild to moderate depression lifestyle changes can make a big difference and can actually be more beneficial than medication gosh that is so reassuring to hear that lifestyle medicine is becoming part of the national guidelines across the uk yeah absolutely that really suggests we're heading in the right direction doesn't it yeah, absolutely. And and the real focus in the NICE guidelines for depression is on physical activity. And there's a huge evidence base for that in depression. So it's really exciting to see. So tell us a little bit more about your role and your job as a consultant psychiatrist. Okay. Well, I'm a general adult consultant psychiatrist. So I specialise in the care and treatment of people aged 18 to 65. Um, but I've sort of subspecialised in early intervention in psychosis. So I see patients in their first episode of a psychotic illness or those patients who um, may be in at-risk mental state for developing a psychotic illness. And we we see people who age 14 to 35, but currently um, in the process of expanding our age range to see people up to 65. And it's a very varied and interesting job. Every day is different. And, you know, we, we treat the whole range of, of mental illnesses, not just psychosis. So depression, anxiety and all sorts. So, I mean, a really interesting job you've got there. So that means that during the COVID-19 pandemic, you've been seeing patients who are potentially suffering as a consequence of the pandemic. And I know that's something we're going to go on to explore in a bit more detail later. But firstly, can you help us to um, explore and understand more what we mean by mental health and what we mean by mental illness? Because 
I feel like the words COVID-19 and mental health are being used a lot at the moment. Why is it important to use the, the correct term and what's the difference? Okay, well, I think it's important to use the correct term because we all have mental health. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, defines health as a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and is not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. Um, so we all have mental health and we all need to look after our mental health to reduce our risk of developing things like stress-related illnesses, depression, anxiety and so on. And mental illness is on a spectrum, I suppose, from really good mental health to not such good mental health and then mental illness, which is distinct. And I don't know whether I'm extremely pedantic or whether it's just that language is really important, but I get really upset when I hear people say things like, oh, mental health can be so debilitating, because that actually doesn't make any sense if you think of health as a complete state of well-being, then mental health can't be debilitating, but mental illnesses certainly can. So I like the distinction to be really clear. And illness, I suppose, is defined by poor functioning. So, you know, if you're feeling so low in mood that you can't get up out of bed, you're not attending to your personal hygiene and your daily activities, you know, going shopping, um, looking after the children, the housework, that kind of thing. So if your functioning is suffering, then by definition, it becomes illness. But if you're feeling low and you're still able to do everything you need to do, it's just a bit more of an effort, it's probably not reached the stage of illness yet. So as a GP, I often see people with mental health problems, and that's mm. how we describe it, or, or mental illness. And I might refer on to a, a psychologist or a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist. So as a psychiatrist, what sort of mental illness are you seeing and how is that different to what I'm seeing or what a psychologist would, would see? Hmm. I suppose in, in psychiatry, we're seeing people with mental illness. So, you know, not functioning um, or really distressed by their symptoms, which is often the case, especially with things like psychosis. Um, and because mental health and mental illness spans the whole spectrum, most people will be looked after in primary care by their GP. And some people may need to see a psychologist for help with things like problems with their thinking and behaviours that make it difficult for them to live their lives happily. But then people who need to see us in psychiatry are very debilitated, usually. Mm -hmm. I, I see a lot of mental health problems in, in general practice most commonly depression and anxiety. Are you seeing very extreme versions of those mental illnesses? Yeah, exactly. So in psychiatry, we'd see people whose depression is so severe that they literally can't get out of bed, that they can't function day to day. They're very distressed. Um, or we see people who've tried multiple treatments from the, from the GP, so multiple medications, or they've been through CBT within primary care, cognitive behavioural therapy. It's really not helped. They've tried all the lifestyle modifications and they've not helped. And they might have treatment-resistant depression or need more complex medication regimes, that kind of thing. And you mentioned earlier that your area of specialism is psychosis. What do you mean by psychosis? Psychosis is a state where people lose touch with reality. They might experience hallucinations, um, most commonly auditory hallucinations, which is hearing voices. And those voices are external to them. So they're heard 
like my voice is heard to you now with their ears and they tend to say very horrible things it could be really derogatory unpleasant or threatening things and the other main symptom of psychosis is delusions which means believing things that other people know are not real but the patient themselves is absolutely convinced that those things are real for example that people are out to get them that the government is monitoring all their actions that their neighbor has installed cctv cameras in their house and is watching everything they do because they mean to harm them those those kind of things things that the average person would think was totally ridiculous Mm, mm. Th those sound very distressing to you know live in a world where you're experiencing these things it, tell us how has the care that you're providing to your patients changed during the the pandemic it's changed and it hasn't changed so we're still offering the same level of care as we always did but right from the very beginning we quickly moved to a lot of teleconferencing and video conferencing so setting up telephone consultations and um, using online platforms to engage with our patients and seeing people face to face only when really necessary because of the risk of the virus and when we see people face to face we have to wear the PPE the masks and aprons and gloves so it, it has changed, but I would say that the level and intensity of the care we give hasn't changed. We're still very much there for our patients and available and, and working really hard. But it's yeah, it's certainly changed the mode of operating. And I think it hasn't been so satisfying for us or for the patients, really. It's a really difficult time, isn't it, for everyone at the moment? There's so much uncertainty. There's a lot of fear, stress, worry. How is this having an impact on people's mental health? Can you describe or paint as a picture to help us understand the, the significance and the scale of the problem? Absolutely. It's having a huge impact on all of our mental health, I think. And the things that you describe, fear, uncertainty, stress, worry, anxiety, they're enormously anxiety-provoking. And I think we're all suffering in some way or another with uh, the emotional state of, of what we're going through. I know for, personally, I've been through all the stages of grief from denial, anger, um, what they call depression, bargaining, acceptance. And ideally, hopefully, we should all reach a stage of meaning with, with the stages of grief if we can come through them. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the Royal College of Psychiatrists several months ago predicted what they called a tsunami of mental illness in the wake of COVID mm -hmm. and the lockdown. And we've seen that people with no prior history of mental illness have been presenting with depression, manic episodes, anxiety and psychotic episodes. There's been an increase in admissions to psychiatric hospitals. And it seems that men aged 18 to 25 have been particularly affected. Um, and this may be because of all the you know, problems with employment and the uncertainty and trying to look after your family and keep everything going during this time. Um, and talking about families, unfortunately, there's been an increase in domestic violence being reported um, and mm -hmm. on those sort of issues related to risk to children. Um, and there's just been a lot of yeah, a lot of people trying to cope, I think, which may have led to an increase in substance misuse, alcohol use, and those kind of not so good coping strategies. Um, and I think 
things are not going to get better mm. for a while. We've got the ongoing uncertainty, we've got the local lockdowns happening, we've got the possibility of further restrictions as, as have come out this week already and I think it's only going to keep changing. So I think we're going to keep seeing these problems for a long time and not to mention the financial implications and people who've been made redundant, lost their businesses, lost their jobs people are going to lose their homes it's not going to get better for a while mm-hmm. i mean it, it sounds really really bleak doesn't it and i think it, it as bleak as it sounds um it is important to discuss it because in the media there's a lot of emphasis on the mortality rate so the the people who are dying and the amount of positive test results and and the numbers but this is having a huge impact on the quality of how we are living for those of us who are continuing to live through this time. And it's important to acknowledge that. And I think, I'm hoping that if the listeners are struggling, this is going to help them to know that they're not alone. Mm. This is the biggest challenge our generation will face in terms of our potential threat to our physical health and also managing our, our mental health, maintaining our mental health. You mentioned earlier about the stages of grief. How is that relevant to what we're experiencing and what we're feeling at the moment? I think, in a way, it is a grief reaction that we've all been through. Like you say, it's a sort of unprecedented historical event that we're living through. Nobody expected it, and we were all sort of hit with it all at once, having to make changes to our day-to-day lives, going through the lockdown, and all of those things have been so worrisome that I think we have been through a grief a grief reaction, especially when you think about being separated from friends and family, physical distancing, all those kind of things. And to begin with, you know, there are feelings of maybe this isn't real, maybe it's a hoax, maybe it's not really happening, and then feeling really angry. Oh, but I don't want this to change, and I don't want to be separated from my mum, and feeling really frustrated, and then can lead you on to feeling very miserable, depressed, and eventually maybe accepting it. Okay, we're going through this now. It's going to be okay. Maybe there are some advantages to it. We've maybe noticed that we can spend more time with our families or in nature and notice the smaller things in life that matter to us. So maybe there are some positives there. And that's how you come through the stages of grief to the the mean meaning side of things, which can lead you to a positive state of growth where you notice things in your life that are really important you reevaluate what you want from life and and how you want to move forward in the future. So it's a very difficult time, but I think if we can move through it with a sense of optimism and hope, then maybe things can get better in the future. And the reason that people may be experiencing stages of grief is because we're experiencing a loss of, a Mm. loss of what would have been, and a loss of normal. And actually that leads us on quite nicely to this expression we're hearing a lot of, the new normal. What do we mean by the new normal? Is there such a thing? And really, what can we do now to really thrive? Is it possible to thrive or is it a case of just coping? I think initially it might seem like it's a a case of just coping, but I think it's certainly possible to thrive. And there's something called post-traumatic growth, 
and I think we can find that if we navigate it carefully. Um, and we've all heard of post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder and those things are very real but post-traumatic growth is an alternative way of moving through a stressful event and it can lead you to a personal transformation um, where you get, like I say, a new appreciation of life, improved relationships with others, an awareness of new possibilities, development of personal strengths that you didn't know you had, and maybe even spiritual change as well. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah. So this is an actual thing that we can experience and go through. Does it just happen to us or is there something that we can do to experience it? I think it it doesn't just happen. I think it's more likely to happen if you can develop positivity and optimism and keep a really positive frame of mind. And part of that is really looking after yourself as we go through this stage. So one of the things we can really do to thrive and help us move forward positively is to reflect. So to think back on the past six months, what, what have we learned from it? What's been good about it? What do we want to keep going forwards? You know, there are loads of advantages to, to what we've been through in a way. Mm. And to try and notice those can help you maintain that state of positivity and optimism. And how, so this is all about reflection, isn't it? And, and pausing and considering what we've been through and how, how we might want to move forward. What's the best way to do this? Is it something we can just do ourselves? Should we be journaling? Should it be through conversations with family? Should it be through seeking therapy? How are we best off reflecting? There are many different ways and I think everybody is different. For me personally, I reflect best whilst I'm walking in nature. So I go for long walks and I think about it all. For other people, they might really need to talk to people about it. And that could be friends, family or professionals. Could be seeing GP or a therapist. Um, and journaling, like you mentioned, can be really helpful as well. If you can put your thoughts down in writing in a really private form, that can help you make sense of them and think about things in a different way. So there are many different ways to, to reflect. And sometimes when things aren't going well and we're experiencing things that are out of our control, it can be easy to shut it off and not want to reflect and not want to really focus attention. Are there any side effects or negative effects from reflecting and, and focusing our thoughts on, on what's happening at the moment? I think actually, contrary to, to that, there's, there are negative effects of not reflecting, of bottling up all your feelings and your worries and, and, and not processing them, not moving through them. That leads to a sort of stalemate where you can become more anxious and feel more anger and resentment. Whereas if you can reflect and make progress, you can move forward with a better, a better state of mind. Hmm. Are there any other steps, practical steps that we can take to, to help us cope or thrive? Yeah, absolutely. I think probably number one is staying connected. So staying connected to your friends and family and loved ones is super important because we're social beings. So being in lockdown is totally contrary to how we want to be living our lives. We need to be in our tribe. So staying connected to tribe is really important. And, you know, we've been utilizing Zoom and all of those kind of online things. Um, but if you can meet people for socially distanced walks, that can be really helpful as well. But staying connected is super important. Um, and keep talking, like we said. I think sometimes it can really help to plan 
for the future as well mm. especially when the future is so uncertain and you just can't see what's going to happen next and you can't predict it which which we can't yeah. but if you can plan in small things every day something to look forward to something to focus your mind on and to keep a sense of moving forward with life even while so many strange things are happening to us that can be really helpful i, I like the idea of planning i think that's one of the biggest challenges maybe on a personal level normally in life you know you have a certain element of thinking about the past and living in the moment and then thinking about what's coming up next in your life whether it be a big birthday celebration or a holiday or something that's happening at work it feels at the moment the planning part of life has been stunted somewhat Mm. you're suggesting that it still is important to plan how do we go about approaching that when there is so much uncertainty yes it's difficult and we'll be planning different things from the things we'd have been planning before but i think maybe putting in things that you enjoy into a planner or a calendar can really help so making time for physical activity put that down um you know if you love to paint or play guitar or do yoga whatever it is plan for those things, put them in your diary so that you've got something to look forward to every day, involve your family or or whoever you live with in those things. And yeah, plan small events, even sort of coffee meetings over Zoom, that kind of thing. So you've got something positive. Yeah, yeah. I really like the idea of still being able to plan, even if it's just for the week ahead. Mm -hmm. And I know in some of the work that I do as a health coach, um, I'm very keen on planning and it can be really useful to have a planner or somewhere where perhaps at the end of the weekend or the beginning of the week you sit with a nice cup of tea and and think about the week ahead and what you want to get out of it and how you want to feel and who you want to see or speak to. Um, so I'm definitely a big advocate of the planning one. Yeah, absolutely. Is there is there anything else that we can do, you know, to to look after ourselves in terms of self-care and and really applying um the principles of lifestyle medicine to our our own health definitely i think prioritizing sleep and routines is so important um you know even if we're not getting up to go to work and we don't have a commute or we don't have anything to get up for still getting up at the same kind of time every day still getting washed and dressed and changing out of your pajamas um maintaining your routines can help you feel like a human basically um trying to go to bed at the same time every day is really important prioritize your sleep and prioritize your routines um and keep eating well plenty of fruit and veg and fresh food maintain your nutrition your hydration basic things can really help us feel good in ourselves prioritize things you enjoy in your life and physical activity those those kind of things can can really help particularly with symptoms like depression and anxiety the more we sort of hide away and vegetate the worse worse we can feel so even if it feels like a huge effort get up and go for a walk and and you'll feel better afterwards although that might sound diminishing but it it can be really helpful Mm, it really is about the small things that add up to make a difference and to have an impact on our mental health isn't it it really is 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you can find things that you enjoy that help you manage stress and anxiety, things like yoga, mindfulness, meditation, deep breathing techniques even, can help you get out of your sympathetic nervous system, your fight and flight where you want to run or, or you know, you don't know how to, what to do with yourself. And if you can get into your parasympathetic nervous system, that's your rest and digest, makes you feel calm and relaxed, then the better you'll be able to handle stress and anxiety and uncertainty. Hmm. It's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it, at the moment, emotionally, all these ups and downs and lockdown lifting. And then where I am in Leeds, a, a local lockdown has recently been announced. You can find yourself slipping into that negative thought pattern again of, oh, no, it's happening again. The future's looking bleak. Are we ever going to get out of this? How do we consciously shift ourselves into a more positive mindset? How can we do that practically? The first step probably is awareness, awareness that you're becoming very negative and, and feeling the anxiety of it, and then recognizing that and processing it through things that we've talked about already, journaling, walking, spending time in nature, talking, and trying to make sense of what's happening, try and focus on the positives, because there are some, and know that we will get through this. I really like the little Buddhist phrase, this too shall pass. And whenever I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed, I remind myself of that. And spending time in nature can help with that as well. So if you're going for a long walk and it pours with rain, before you know it, the sun's coming out again. And that always reminds me, this too shall pass, mm. this too shall pass. It gives you a sense yeah, of hope. The sun will shine once again, won't it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we'll come out of this would I think we might be changed, maybe different with a re renewed sense of what's important in life, to be kind and compassionate towards other people, that we as a human race are all connected globally, which you can see by the spread of the virus, it shows how interconnected we all are. So maybe there are benefits in terms of how we view each other in humanity. Maybe it will lead to a kinder world, or maybe that's just my optimism, my relentless optimism, <laughs> but I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. Um, I just wanted to finish by saying the two things that I've found that I've lent on that have really helped me the most, because at the moment I'm on maternity leave, I'm, I'm not working in the NHS, I, I'm still continuing doing my media work, but I'm at home with the baby and like a lot of people, this isn't what I'd planned for for 2020, this isn't what I expected and you know, you feel that sense of a, a loss and acceptance for me has been a big one you know accepting that this this is happening um it's out of my control and i think once you can learn to accept that battle that internal struggle that you have um it makes it it does make it easier and then when i'm feeling very negative turning to gratitude and as you say this isn't to diminish or minimize the impact this is having on us but sometimes it can just be very helpful to have a very practical tool in that moment when you're feeling really, really low. And for me, just reminding myself of things I am grateful for, no matter how small, whether that be um, having a garden in which I can spend time or having a healthy baby or having friends and family who are, are healthy at the moment. Um, yeah, acceptance and gratitude. What would you say are your go-to positive, I guess, positive psychology tools 
that you have found really helpful for you during this time and and before and once this has passed as well? Absolutely. You're completely right. Acceptance and gratitude are key. And like you, I keep a gratitude journal. So every night before bed, I write down a list of things I'm grateful for each day. And it's surprisingly easy to write a lot because there are so many lovely things that happen that might seem insignificant, but each thing gives you a sense of joy and and pleasure. So it could be, you know, having a really nice cup of tea or children are really happy and that makes you feel good. So there are always sort of six or seven things I write down every day. And then looking back at that, that gives you a sense of how this process of going through the pandemic has been good and bad which can be good and positive psychology has a lot of lessons to teach us and again coming around to the idea of buddhism and the buddhist sense of all of human life is suffering and we've got to find acceptance and meaning in in what we experience like i think is quite helpful personally for me i love spending time in nature i find that very therapeutic and healing and it's my opportunity to reflect and and feel joy and I also love to practice yoga and meditation and those are very calming and they always make me feel better. They they give you a sense of perspective of what's really important. Just coming back to simple Mm. practices can be really good. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for taking us through the steps of we've spoken about reflection, the importance of talking, connecting with others, planning and prioritising self-care, whether that be sleep or, or exercise and trying to adopt a shift in mindset and staying optimistic through gratitude and acceptance. For the listeners who are maybe trying those things um, or are very worried that this feels different and not manageable, where do they turn to for help? Who should they go to? Absolutely. If you feel that you're suffering from anxiety or depression or overwhelming stress, please do seek attention. First, I would recommend seeing your GP and they can maybe recommend various things. Maybe you need an antidepressant or maybe you need talking therapy. So that would be the the, the first port of call if you, if you think you're suffering from a clinical problem like depression or anxiety. Um, talking to friends and family as well, like we've mentioned, can be really helpful. If there's an emergency situation and you feel that you can't go on anymore, you know, maybe call the Samaritans, they're always there to listen, or go to your nearest A&E department or call the local crisis team. So there's always a wealth of people to contact. And maybe in the links and resources for this podcast, we could put a list of a list of appropriate contacts. Um, but yeah, please seek help. Don't suffer in silence. And the sooner that you talk and get the help you need, the the quicker you'll start to feel better. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for, for guiding us through this today. I think there's been some really important discussions there and hopefully some practical tips that our listeners can really lean on to help them get through the next six months and beyond. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Sound Living Podcast. For more information about the BSLM, to sign up to our newsletter or to subscribe to our membership, go to bslm.org.uk. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at BritSockLM. 
please show your support by sharing this podcast with friends, family and colleagues. If there are any specific topics you'd like us to cover, please get in touch. Until next time, stay well.